everything. Actually, we've thought about it already. He changes us from being dead in transgressions and sins people to being alive in Christ people. And actually, we saw a bit of that last week if you were with us on Port Meadow. So we baptised Nama last week, which was a fantastic thing to do. Hopefully there's going to be a picture behind me. But we saw with Nama that as she went under the water and came back out again, it was almost as if she was joined to Jesus so that when he died on the Friday and was raised again on the Sunday, so Nama went down and died, the old Nama had gone, and then the new Nama had come back up again. She was raised again with Jesus. She was raised again. She could be friends with God again. And you know, what Jesus does as he changes us, what Jesus does as the gospel comes, is it's not just about us being friends with him, but actually what he does is he unites us together into a big church family. And that is the big thing that Paul is saying to us this morning from Ephesians chapter 3. It's the importance of the church. And the church is not a building that we go to. The church is not a meeting that we come to. But the church is a family that we're a part of. And in our passage for this morning, I'm just going to give you a little overview now. It kind of divides the world history into two. In 1 to 10, Paul looks backwards and he talks about the mystery of the church that people beforehand longed to know. So he says it's a bit like Christmas. I think it is 75 days until Christmas Eve. I think that's right. And so it's a bit like Christmas. There are presents wrapped under the tree for us at Christmas, but we don't know what's in them. Anybody excited about Christmas? Anybody started writing Christmas lists already? Give me a hand up. John Perkins, that's outrageous. Um, but it's like, it's like presents under the Christmas tree. We, we don't know what they are. We're looking at them, we're thinking maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a, I don't know, a Frisbee or a CD or some new clothes or a book or something. And it's all a bit of a mystery, isn't it? But then on Christmas Day, what happens? You get to open them and, and you know what they are. You, you, the mystery is gone. Oh, it's just what I wanted. It's, it's a new jumper or something, or it's not quite what I wanted. Never mind. And so Paul speaks of the church and he says, he looks back and he says, there were generations behind me and they longed to know what God's plan was. But now God has revealed his plan in the church. Now the mystery has been revealed. And then he looks ahead. So in the first half of the chapter, he looks behind him. We're going to go that way for behind. And then the next half, he looks ahead that way. And he says, the secret is out. God's plan is out now. The mystery has been revealed. Christmas Day has come. We know what God's plan is. And at the very heart of God's plan for his world is the local church. And so our second half, hopefully, I'm looking ahead, the job of the church so that future generations will know. And we'll do that in a second after we've read the second half. But it's as if Paul goes onto his knees and he prays. And he teaches us things that we can be praying for for each other. Because the mystery is out. And people need to hear about Jesus. So we're going to look back. We're going to go this way first. And just briefly think about what mystery means. Now I'm going to read some of the verses again. And for those of you who are good at writing, you will know that an M looks a bit like that, do we think? It's kind of M-like, isn't it? Um, 
Some of you are so excited by that M. You seem to have slipped off your seat, which is great. But this, every time I say mystery, I'd like you to do an M shape for me. And I reckon that's kind of M shape, sort of. It's a bit like McDonald's. There we go. So I'm going to read again some of the verses. And every time I say mystery, you do an M. Okay, can you practice? M? Oh, hang on, let's do Mo Farah. I like that. That's even better. There we go. Good old Mo. Um, so verse 3 then. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. In reading this then, verse 4, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it's now been revealed. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And then verse 9, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, there's number four, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now, I'm going to say, if you are under the age of 14, I would like you, please, somebody, or else it gets really quiet and awkward, to tell me what a mystery is. We've done the actions. We've said it a few times. Does anybody know what a mystery is? Yes. Yes, a mystery is something that's lost. Good, yeah. Where's it gone? We don't know. Yes. Phineas, go. You've got a loud voice. I know you have. Go. Amazing. Can we... Phineas and Esther, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. So we said the Christmas presents was a bit of a mystery, wasn't it? I've got another picture for you. For some of you of a particular age, you will get this. But a mystery is the end of this Scooby-Doo. And what happens? The, the handcuffs go on, the masks come off, and now everybody sees the truth, and it was that person all along. And so the mystery is revealed. In fact, they're, they're, I think their van is called the Mystery Machine. Am I right, young people? There is some nods, thank you. It is known by everyone, something that was a secret, but now is known by everyone. It's not a secret anymore. And so what is the mystery that Paul is writing about in our passage? He's not writing about a crime like Scooby-Doo. He's not writing about Christmas presents. But the mystery that Paul talks about is this. He says there are two groups who were enemies, and they are brought together, and now they're to be friends. And so there were Jewish people who were God's chosen people, the, the nation of Israel, and then there were Gentiles who were not, and Paul says God has brought them together into one family. And that is the mystery. And it is such an amazing plan, says Paul. It's incredible. He can't help but bubble over about it. He is so excited by this, by this plan, by this mystery. Look at how he describes himself. He says in verse 8, Although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. You see, Paul's job wasn't always to be a preacher wasn't always to be somebody who told people about Jesus because he used to hate Christians. He was horrible to them. He would persecute them. And yet God then came and turned his life upside down and so he was a man about destroying the church but now he's a man who's about building the church. He was a man who hated Jesus and now he's a man who loves Jesus. And so he brings this message 
of enemies being brought together in the church family. Let me read verse 6 again. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. They were enemies, but now they've been brought together. They were far off from God, but now they're included and brought in. And you know, as the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God, brought into the church, they are on an equal footing. They're they're not the sort of second-class citizens. They're not kind of in the room, but not really welcome. I mean, it's okay to have you here, but we don't really want you here. No, they are members together. They are heirs together. They are sharers together. Can you just imagine it? Imagine maybe somebody... Imagine if you're at school, think of people in your class who, who don't get on with each other. There's always a bit of beef going on. There's always a bit of kind of words like this or a bit of a squabble up in the playground. Well, can you imagine a church family full of people who used to be enemies, who used to be at war with each other, who used to squabble and fight, and there were unkind words and unkindness. But now because of Jesus, they are, they are friends. Just imagine it. Imagine this church meeting in Ephesus. And there were people looking in, knowing, oh, hang on, that, he goes to that church, and he goes to that church. But, but they were really enemies. They were horrible to each other. How can they be in the same church family now? And people, people looking in would just go, wow. Wow, the gospel is so powerful. Jesus is so powerful. The message is so powerful. But actually, Paul says it's even more than that. If you've got the verse there in front of you, look at verse 10. God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So it's not just people who look at the church and go, wow. Paul says it's the heavenly realms. It's angels and even evil powers who look at the local church and just go, Wow! God is so powerful. The gospel is so amazing. That's incredible. Everyone looking in on the church and going, wow. They used to be enemies, but now they're friends. Imagine with me a a war-torn area. So there's been years and years and years of dreadful fighting. And then suddenly the fighting stops and the soldiers leave. And a few months later, in come in um, builders. And they come in with their diggers. And the locals are looking on, thinking, what are these guys doing? The locals have experienced such desolation and pain and hardship and hurt. And, And these builders here, and they start to rebuild again. They start to make the place new again. They start to make the place better. They... They re- rebuild their lives. And after a month or so, they've got foundations put in. And then three months later, there's an apartment block. And it's all spick and span, and it's new, and it's beautiful. And then they, they make a park with swings and a roundabout. And, and you look at this apartment block, and you look at these, these swings and this roundabout, and it's just a, it's a picture of what's to come. It's a glimpse of the future. It's this picture of hope. 
Well, so Paul says God in the local church is in the process of proudly displaying his beautiful, stunning work of art, his, his picture of hope, that the war between the groups has gone, the building has started, and he holds it up in triumph against the angels and the evil powers in the heavenly realms, and he says, look at the church. Look at the local church and just go, wow. Wow, my gospel is so powerful. And the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms look in and they see this diverse community that God is gathering together in Jesus. And they see it all over the earth this morning. Little local churches that don't look very special in one sense. We're a bit of a mess, aren't we, really? But they look in and they see enemies who are now friends. They see people who used to be at war, but now they are at peace. People who used to have nothing in common at all. But now they're family. And they look on and they look at local churches and they just go, wow. Wow, God is so powerful. This message of the gospel is so good. And so you see, here we are, this side of the cross, looking back, and we see the mystery of the church that people beforehand longed to know. And we are so privileged because we know what they were waiting for. We know that Christmas morning has come and we look under the tree and there, ah, oh, that's what it was. Or, or we, we know it's the end of Scooby-Doo and ah, oh, the mystery, it's been revealed. We know what God's plan was. And we're going to sing. And then we'll think about what we do with that in our second half. He's in a prison cell. He's locked up for Jesus at this point. And he goes onto his knees and he prays for them. Now, I've got three actions to help us understand the prayer. The first two, I'm happy with. The third one, I'm less happy with. The first action is power. I think that's probably quite easily power, isn't it? The second action, I think, is love. I was going to try and do a heart thing, but I'm, I'm rubbish at it. So I'm just going to go love, heart, there. So power, love. And then the third one is maturity. The best I've come up with is kind of this, I think in grey hair, okay? So sort of salt and pepper. Yeah, I think that probably most of us will be going there or going there at some point. So we're going to do this, okay? So power, love, and maturity. Are we okay with that? I'm getting glares. Sorry, Amy. Right. Let's think about the power first. Now, verse 16 as Matt read for us, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. So it's a power that Christ might dwell in us. It's that Jesus might be more and more and more at home in us. Which is a funny idea, but I want you to imagine with me you're moving house, okay? And the house that you're moving into is, is lovely, but it's a bit, a bit yucky. It's not very nice. It's not very pleasant. And the previous tenants have left some stuff in for you, which is kind of them. And your bedroom is a bit yucky. And so the day before you move, you go up with your parents and you throw away some of the nasty furniture they left behind. Now, we moved into a house in Birmingham once, and the person before us had left a washing machine, which we didn't want, but also a chair... And we cut into the chair and we found, I think it was about £15 worth of pound coins and a checkbook. 
So she paid for our curry that evening through, through the pound coins, not the checkbook. But anyway. And so you go in early and you get rid of all the dust and you clean and you hoover and you go to the tip and you take furniture with you and maybe even you paint. Maybe even you put down new carpets before you move your stuff in. Well, Paul says it's a bit like that when we're Christians. When Jesus takes his residence in us, when he comes to live in us, he finds us a bit yucky, fairly uninhabitable. And so he sets to make us a place that is fit for him. You remember that? Say that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. He wants us to be a place where he's increasingly welcome in us. Maybe where he's in charge of what we say and what we do and the things we care about, the things we love. Maybe where we live in a way that pleases him, a, 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 way, a place where our words are kind, our actions are kind, where we, where we think of others first, where we care more about what he thinks rather than what others think maybe. And so there's this power, says Paul, that Christ may come and live within us more and more, be more and more at home in us. But there's more power as well. For those of you who are spotted that, it's in verse 18 too. Do you remember, if you were a grown-up maybe in previous weeks, remember that Ephesus was a place of real power, a place where they thought a lot about power. They talked about God's Holy Spirit coming to live in us and, and be, be powerful. Well, this is how some of that works out. So it's in verse 18 as well. May have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So he prays that they might have power to grasp the love of God in action. I think that's it, isn't it? I've just seen John Fenning do it. It's like that. That's, that's, a, that's a heart. Can you do that? Thumbs at the bottom, things at the top, all of you watching. <laughs> power and love. And do they love Jesus already? They do. They do love Jesus already. We've seen that already in the letter. But the prayer for power is a prayer for more. He prays that they'd know more of how much God loves them. And see how big this love of God is? It is enormous. It is wide and long and high and deep. It is wider and longer and higher and deeper than we can even know. It is massive. It's huge. Think of the biggest thing you can think of, please. Think of the biggest thing you can think of. The love of God is bigger than that. Way bigger than that. The biggest thing you just thought of is minuscule compared to God's incredible love for his people. Can I say that, do you know in Christ God loves you? Sometimes in our house before bed, most nights we sing, I'm not going to sing, but we sing, Jesus loves you, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. And whether you are four or 104, you can know that and trust that. And it's not just a song. And lots of us might struggle with that. I wonder, actually, if lots of grown-ups struggle with that. Maybe as children we're more trusting and we get older and we know ourselves a bit more or we get let down a bit more or we... We know the reality of our hearts a bit more. And the idea that God loves you is something you struggle with. And maybe all this talk of emotion and love is a bit un-British and, goodness me, move on. Um, we feel a bit uncomfortable, but, but actually God loves you. 
in Christ. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, he loves you. And when we feel that we've blown it again, oh, God can't really love me, can he really? I mean, it's, that is one sin too many. That is one sin too big. I said I wouldn't do it again, but I did. Well, because of Christ, he loves you. Or maybe you feel life hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to turn out. And you think, well, I'm in this situation here, so maybe God has got doubts about me. Maybe he's changed his mind on me. No, because of Christ, he loves you. And our feelings can be fickle, so sometimes it's hard for us to believe that or to trust that. Sometimes it's a battle for us to believe and trust that. And so at times we just need to look at the evidence and we think about the cross and we see how much he loves us. So there's power, power that he'd be more and more at home and power that we grasp more and more of his love for us. But the outworking of that grasping of his love for us is maturity. I know that grey hair doesn't necessarily mean maturity, but you get what I mean. And I think trying to understand what maturity is, by maturity we mean not being babyish. How about that? Being more and more and more grown up. Verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is Paul's way of saying to be a spiritual grown-up, to not be a spiritual baby, to be all that God wants you to be. Isn't that an amazing prayer? Paul says we can't be spiritually mature, we can't be spiritual grown-ups unless we grasp power from God to know how much Jesus loves us. Being a spiritual grown-up is not about knowing all the right answers in a Bible study or knowing your Bible perfectly or No, it's grasping how much Jesus loves us. Do you want to be a mature, grown-up Christian? A spiritual grown-up? To to not be babyish? And Paul says, you need to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I guess it's like in our normal relationships with each other, we need to have a healthy grasp of our emotions to gain maturity as people. While so in one sense, to grow in maturity as a believer, as one in Christ, we must know and experience the love of Christ. But it's a love that surpasses knowledge, and so we need him to to help us do that. So, power, love, maturity. And do you remember why this matters? Why does this prayer matter so much? Well, because it's through the church that God's plan of salvation is proclaimed to everyone. And everyone looks in and goes, wow, wow. And we can't do that on our own, can we? So then we need to pray for each other. We, we need to pray that, that we would have that power, that Jesus would be more and more welcome in us, the power to grasp how much he loves us, And so to grow in spiritual maturity. And so the world might look in and go, wow. Wow, God's plan is so good. Let me pray. And then Matt will come and pray pray a bit more for us. Lord, we pray, however old or young we are, that we might have more of that power. 
that we might know more of your love and so that we might grow in maturity. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.